Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today I have with me Paula Fisher, who is one of our team leads here at PDT. Paula, for those who have not heard a podcast with you on it before, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, where you're from, who you are? Okay. I'm originally from New Jersey, and I've worked at PDT for 10 years, and prior to that, being the wife of an active duty military husband, I have worked in lots of different states and different settings and hospitals and universities and private practices. And now at PDT, again, getting a nice variety of populations of working with and different contract sites. Um, it's been a very well-rounded experience and really enjoyed being here and been able to use the expertise from all the other places that I've worked and bring it here and and share with other therapists and other professionals. Well, because, like you said, we go so many different places and we work homes, daycares, clinic sites, three different clinic sites, contract sites. We go so many places. Our topic today, so all of those places and where you provide therapy and have currently do and have before provide therapy fit into our topic, which is a plan of care and sort of how to write a plan of care, what is a plan of care, that whole thing. And personally for me, when I got out of graduate school, I realized I did not know how to write a plan of care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not a well-thought-out, good plan of care. I could check the box. I knew what one was, and I could write a goal plan is what I used to call it, but not really a plan of care. I don't Mm -hmm. know. When you got out of school, did you feel like you had really good training with that? I did because the practice that I worked for was a private practice. It was a co-speech and PT practice, and the owner was married to the head of George Washington Mm. University Speech and Language Program. And it was very, very intensive training through the CF because I guess largely because the area they were in, it was very high demand. Population was involved a lot of people in D.C. So you had like senator and congressman's children and people, of course, ABC correspondents. And so there was a lot of pressure and a lot of demands to have everything just the right way. But you're right. Most people that are coming out and a lot of the graduate students in the CFs that we've worked with here, it's more of a, a cookie cutter that you get because, yeah. you, you know, they want you to have a little bit mm-hmm. of fluency, a little bit in tick. but you're right. I mean, I don't really feel that that emphasis on individualizing the plan to the child's needs yeah. is emphasized enough. No, I don't think so either. From my experience, yours, I think, was exceptional, but not typical you know, because we've talked more about how detailed and what that was like at first for you. But for me, not so much. I could check the box in terms of I knew what a plan of care was and I can write a goal plan. But was it whole child? You know, was it child centered? Was it individualized? Like all Mm -hmm. the stuff you just said, no, no, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't any of that. And I think just based on some of my own experience and based on Paula's working together a lot through the years and working with a lot of new grads here at PDT and sometimes people new to us, not necessarily a new grad, I think we've come to the realization of what a good plan of care is. And then now I think we help mentor people through that. So let's define it. Plan of care, what is it? It's more than just a goal plan. Do you want to sort of talk, Paula, about what your thoughts on a plan of care are? I guess we had talked a little bit about this before. I guess the best way that it's been defined to me in my experience, and someone once said to me, well, your plan of care is to discharge the child. 
Mm. And that made sense to me because I'm thinking, okay, I really have to get in there, mm-hmm. identify what the child needs, what the strengths and the needs are, and be very specific and target that, involve all my resources. The parents are the primary person. I'm the secondary person. We've got to get people involved. I mean, you probably will see them, but face it, you know, two times a week for 30 minutes mm-hmm. at the most. And that's not a great amount of time. So the plan extends from that 30 minutes or that two times a week for 30 minutes to really take on a life in the functional setting that the child is going to communicate. And going back to working with traumatic brain injury, we had to start out in the ICU Mm -hmm. and write a plan of care. And Mm -hmm. the expectation was with head injury that you have a year of spontaneous recovery. Mm. And to put a time frame on it, to me, really showed the importance of having that plan correct and having it meet the needs. And then after they would go from the ICU to the inpatient, the CIU, and they were able to have rehab, intensive rehab there, and then to the day rehab program. And you really had the expectation from Mm -hmm. what the insurance company was going to allow and expected because they did have data on that. And you would know what time frame you had to work with. And I think that's what happens sometimes if you don't have a good plan of care, you figure, well, you know, the kids got developmental delays and we've got all this time to do this, but you really don't. I mean, you, you want to make sure that it is an intensive plan for the child and to involve the family, like you said, right away. Well, and I think the way you said it, the first thing you said was, you know, you should have a plan for discharge when you're starting, because if you're not, what that just does is it sets you up for, okay, we're, the expectation for everybody involved, you, you know, the therapist, the family, the patient, that we're making progress. We're moving somewhere. Yes. Because if we're mm-hmm. not moving somewhere, we're wasting time. You know, right. if we're not moving forward, we're wasting time. And so I think a plan of care is really just a plan, mm-hmm. a plan for really ultimately, like you said, discharge. Right. So a goal plan and then how often you want to see the child. And that's what it is. It's really a plan for discharge. Mm-hmm. The thought is, every time you go to do that insurance authorization, and we'll speak more about insurance and plan of care and how that's tied together a little bit later, but all that's tied together. So if you can't show progress and movement towards discharge each time you rewrite that goal plan then you're and plan of care, you're in a mess. You, mean, right. you really can't keep seeing the child. Mm-hmm. And really, what are you doing then? You're kind of wasting time. You're not moving forward. You're right. So when do you write it? We're just covering some of the basics. When? At the time of the eval, and then for us, at least every six months, but then as often as you need to, to update and change the goals, really. Right, right. And then I just cover the basics. What, when, and why? Well, you got to have a plan, because if you don't have a plan, really, you're just fumbling around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of reasons why now. I mean, when I first started, you had a plan of care, but it really wasn't tied to the insurance. You know, right. you had to have a plan because you had to move forward and we're going somewhere with this patient. But now the why is also tied to insurance is how you get paid and reimbursed. Mm-hmm. But also why, we've talked about this before, Paula, but why you have a good plan of care is also for parents. Because mm-hmm. that's when you get the parent buy-in. Right. You want to speak to that for a second? Yes, it's really the key part of it because the parent education has to start just from the very beginning. And like you said, the buy-in, because if they're not doing that, then it, it is. It's just an hour a week that they're bringing their child to this location, picking them up and leaving. And it's so important for them because I can remember too, when you would work in a clinical setting where the parent would be able to observe, most of the time their first comment was, well, well, it looks just like you're playing with the child. 
and you're thinking, <laughs> no, no. And then you start going through everything that you're working on in the plan of care and the strategies and the techniques. And then they're kind of blown away like, oh, I didn't realize that clinician was doing that. I just thought they were playing with the child. So you see that there's a huge gap in what's going on here and that a huge opportunity to be able to educate the parent and bring them on board and just engage them from the start and know that in the long run, it's their responsibility. I mean, we're bringing the expertise to it and the training, but really where things happen is when they take them out of the clinic and they start doing all these things with the child. I've used this analogy before because I'll tell the parents, okay, well, I'm the conductor, mm-hmm. so I'm going to drive this train. So I've written this plan. I'm going to drive this train. And now, but you're going to have to get off and on this train every day, all yeah. week long. Mm-hmm. And if you're not bought into this train, then we're getting a problem, mm-hmm. you know, because that's mm-hmm. my job. I drive the train. That's what I right. do. But I only drive it for 30 minutes a week or 60 minutes a week or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And so you got to drive it all the rest of the week. And then I need to hear how it went. Mm-hmm. You know, like what path did you, hopefully we were, you were on the same path I was on yes. all week long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this past week, I was working with a parent and an assistant and, and an assistant. We were writing a new plan to care and the family's having some, I recommend a twice a week for this child, and that's really what I thought needed to happen. So that's what I wrote in their plan of care, and mm-hmm. I was discussing it with the dad, and they're having some transportation difficulties, so he can't get in twice a week, and he was telling me about those, and that happens. You know, right. It's real life. So I said, okay. In the perfect world, I had written this plan of care that I wanted to have happen, but that was not the reality of the world. So I told him, I said, and I kind of used that train and that conductor analogy mm-hmm. with him, which he got, and I said, so here's what we're going to have to do. Here's my plan. This is where I want to go in six months. Now, That means if you're only able to come in once a week, there's more to do at home. There's less interaction here with me and that kind of thing. So you're going to have to do that much more. And we worked out this homework plan. And he was on board with it. But it hadn't gotten that immediate buy-in from the get-go. It would be unsuccessful. And that worked out great. And this patient in particular works with one of our speech-language pathology assistants. That's what they do is they follow the plan of care. And Mm -hmm. she's great at that. So Mm -hmm. I think he'll be fine. But, you know, in that regard, the plan of care is really a roadmap. So let's talk a little bit about when you write the plan of care thinking about the whole child. We can use that example. And that dad told me, look, family troubles. We only have one vehicle now. We don't have two. He had lost his job. The mom was working. They just couldn't get the child in twice mm-hmm. a week. It just wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So when I think about the whole child, right. that's a huge, I mean, he, he's two. He can't walk, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on looking at the whole child? Because that's something experience is required to really look at all the pieces. What do you think about that? My experience has been that one of the first things I'll do even at the evaluation, particularly with the younger children, because one of the things that we're looking for to make something measurable is, well, how many words are they picking up every week? And it's impossible when you ask that question a month down the road or six months down the road when you really need that information. So I always tell parents, take a piece of paper, stick it on the refrigerator. One column, put true words and the other one, word approximations, explain what that is. And every day as they come up, they just jot that down. And then you can take that to the next step, which is, okay, we're going to take two words from their core vocabulary. And those are the words we're going to do to try to move to two word phrases and just have them be a part of that every week. Because as you come into the home, for our outreach children, you have that opportunity to be in there. So that's just one thing I'll do when I'm in the home and work with parents on that, or even if they're coming into the clinic. And that's an easy thing for them to do. I mean, it's it's right there. They're seeing it every day when they go to the refrigerator. They're writing it down. They might think of it. It takes time, too, in the therapy session for them. Well, let me think. Oh, and some parents are better at this than others. Mm-hmm. And like you said, different situations might allow you to do that. But the other thing that I try to look at, too, is I explain to them, okay, this isn't going to be like five 
five minutes, five times a day, you're going to work on this. In most cases, I mean, if it was like oral motor exercises or things like that, we might have more of a structure for that. But I said, you want to be able to plug this into your normal routines. Right. We plug this into breakfast and bath time. It isn't like something that you have to set aside extra time for. It's part of your functional routine in your life. And it kind of takes a pressure off them when you say that. I mean, that's the best way for the child to learn in their natural environment. But at the same time, it's something that's doable for a parent to just plug it into those routines because they really feel like they have to sit down and you know play with them or set up all these toys. And that's not necessarily what's going to work. I mean, you almost have to individualize the plan to the family with a young child because it is the parents and the family that are going to be able to carry over what you're working on and, yeah. and implement these things. Also, what I was thinking about when you were talking was that you've identified sort of the main area of concern. And it's like any problem. So what basically we're talking about is we're diagnosing a problem. Mm-hmm. Somebody's come into us, they have an issue. We've diagnosed a problem, that's the evaluation, and then we've created a plan. But the plan hits the area that's where you're going to make the most difference. Right. You know, and it also like with the word list you're talking about, and it could be for anything, but it could be a word list. It could be you know, stretches that you're doing at home. Right. I mean, you could apply mm-hmm. that to any therapy yes. or any really anything. It just mm-hmm. changes the list you're making. But that speaks to what's the main area I want to target. So you've written the goals, but they're all centered around, okay, what's the main lacking area? So I'm going to make the biggest difference. So six months from now, I know we've achieved this. Right. You know, and your goals kind of all revolve around that main mm-hmm. core idea. Mm-hmm. But it's also getting the main idea, which is what really, when you're talking about the whole child, there can be lots of things to work on with one particular child, but where are you going to make the most difference? Right. right. And if your child isn't talking, or if the parents, you know, like you're saying, or the child isn't, they aren't recognizing that they're using actual words, they start making that word list like, I've had a lot of parents do kind of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. that refrigerator. I want to use that. That's a really good idea. Then they're realizing, that they're taking part in it. They're like, oh, okay, hold on. Wait, I thought this child had 20 words. Nope, I think they've got three. Yes. Oh, yeah, maybe we it do need to show ways. up every week. Mm-hmm. Or, wait a minute, I said they had three. Wait, they got 20. Mm-hmm. I wasn't counting the buh and the duh and the whatever it yes. was. You know, mm-hmm. I've had both scenarios before. But then you get buy-in. Mm-hmm. So then the parents show up every week, and they're there, and they're like, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's our plan. This is my therapist. This is mm-hmm. the person who's helping me get where I got to go and solving my problem, basically, is what it is. Yes. You know? You have to make that a powerful time. I was thinking when I was in the home with a few years ago with a speech assistant and same thing, the mom was very stressed out about the child not talking and we started just playing with him and he was saying something and she was just practically in tears because just by doing a few little things, he started to say some words and there was a lot more going on with him as well that he did need the structure. But you could just see at that moment what it meant to her to see what he was capable of and how excited she was to report the next week and what she had heard him say and what they had done. And that's just so key to be able to involve the parent just emotionally too and and know that this is something that we can work on and you are going to see progress with your child if you work with us. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's immediate reward. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, things are better now than they Mm -hmm. were a week ago when I came in or Mm -hmm. two weeks ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we're moving forward. We're making progress. We're not standing still. We're moving towards discharge, you Mm -hmm. know, solving this problem, same thing, whatever you want to call it. I had a great professor in graduate school who taught me, and I remembered it ever since. David Shapiro was at Western Carolina, and he had a diagnostics course. I'm not sure they even offer a diagnostics course anymore, but anyway, I had Mm -hmm. one. He taught us how to, like, 
you learn how to do all these standardized tests. You know, every right. therapist knows how to do that. But then he made a big deal out of saying, okay, but look, people, you've also got your clinical assessment, mm-hmm. you know? And so you can't forget that you got your interpretation of these test results. The test results only take you so far, but if right. you don't apply any practical knowledge to mm-hmm. these test results, mm-hmm. they don't mean that much. Yes. And sometimes I find that happening where people just take the standardized tests and test scores right. and they'll write goals straight from that. But I'm like, mm-hmm. no, no, you forget. Like, you're the therapist. Right. So you're the one who's got to make this stuff make sense to mm-hmm. make it a good plan and a direction. I think yes. people sometimes forget. Like, look, you're why the people are here. Right. You know? And, and what I've observed when you're doing graduate school work, they fit everybody into a nice little neat package. <laughs> and then you get out in your CF in the real world and you're like, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot more going on here than you're not fitting into any of these little Arctic packages or my fluency package. I mean, I got all this behavioral stuff going on and mm-hmm. all kinds of things that they didn't really tell me about. And I, I do think that's why a good plan of care, I mean, there's some components of that, definitely like it's measurable. And the things that we'll talk about in in the structure of how we look at it, but you're right. I mean, if you're just being very, very literal about that, you're not going to be able to apply that to that little two year old that's running around the room screaming. Wrong no, things. because really, if like you're saying, if the two year old is running around the screaming or they can't sit and focus, there's zero chance he's going to be able to put blocks in that little cube to pass something on the preschool language scale. Right, give it up, mm-hmm. and it's not happening. Yes. But you got you to get him seated first. Mm-hmm. And I think you can't forget that your interpretation and taking all the data you've got from the eval, the parent report, and then what you've seen, the clinical observations and mushing it together. Mm-hmm. That's a technical term. You mush it all together. <laughs> that, and the, most of the things I do in life mush it all together, and that's what you get. All right, but yeah, that's pretty much what happens. So we've spoken a little bit about why, what a good plan of care is. It's a roadmap to discharge, the parent buy-in, but... Let's talk a little bit about goals, mm-hmm. and you know, because goals are we've talked all around that. One of the things we've implemented recently at PDT is something called smart goal setting. I don't. This is not unique to us. This is a thing, but we're using it now. Um, anyway, but it's S M A R T, which S stands for specific. M is measurable. A is achievable. R is results oriented, and T is timed. And really, all that that's good goal writing. Every right. therapy goal should fit that category. Mm-hmm. You learn that in graduate school, right? Right. But I kind of think this is easier than what I learned at graduate school. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you? Yeah, well, there's. you yeah. start off, you're, you're dealing with so many different people that have learned different ways, and then, mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing, because mm-hmm. then you're going into a hospital setting, and you, there are certain areas of it that are more emphasized than others. But the other thing that can happen, too, is that sometimes people forget about that. And I think that comes back to your goal is to make as much progress with this child. Because the other thing that happens is, you know, they're writing their goals and another year has gone by. Well, it looks like on paper that they've improved, but then another year has gone by. Right. Yeah. And that's where you kind of look and say, hmm, I'm thinking I'm ahead, but I'm really still behind and I'm getting further behind. So that it's a critical thing to write these goals and make them achievable. I was working with one of our therapists in OT this past week with a plan of care and clarifying a few things for the insurance company. And the insurance company was asking for some specifics. And this little girl, the goal is a 13-year-old girl, and she has autism, and she's high-functioning. She's doing great. Smart little girl. But she um, has a lot of handwriting problems and a lot of strength, you know, fine motor strength deficits, 
a lot of coordination and fine motor movements, you know, related to strength. And so as a result, she has a lot of trouble with her ADLs and handwriting. And she has a lot of just difficulty because of all her reduced strength and, and coordination. And the therapist had written a great plan of care. And actually, her goals were fabulous. But one of the things we worked together on, she was 100% right on track because she knew exactly what needed to happen for this little girl. And she did fantastic. But one of the things we really worked on was making these goals measurable and timed. Because this was a 13-year-old girl. So at that point, the insurance company is saying, hey, look, you know, 13, autism, therapy, on and on. They're mm-hmm. not wanting to really pay for that anymore. Right. It's different. If you pass that zero to five mark, kind of mm-hmm. where a lot of things go for a while. But this child's 13. So they want a definite, like, okay, when is what's she doing right now? And when is she going to get better? Mm-hmm. You know, when are we getting out of this situation? Right. And the therapist knew that and had a plan, but we needed to sort of tweak it and mm-hmm. sort of make it a little bit more specific and her goals. And we did it and it was great. I wanted to bring that example up because I think if you have really good timed, measurable, specific goals, then it really helps with your justification for why you need this therapy and what you want to do so that you can continue to get it paid for. Right. You know, I think sometimes when you see a lot of goals that are very broad, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Have you had that experience? Yes. And sometimes that just is a matter of putting it back on the therapist and saying, well, what are you trying to achieve and how are you going to achieve that? I mean, it seems that if you look at the SMART model, people kind of gravitate towards a few of those letters and do that well, but then they don't put emphasis on, say, the measurable part or say achievable part, just like we've talked about. And that's a big part of it is is really just kind of plussing up all those areas to make a good plan. That you might have components of that, but all parts are important. That's what makes a good plan. And you have to address them. And I think that also helps a little bit with creating your home program. Mm Because if you've got very specific measurable goals and they're timed and they're specific things you're working on, then it's easy to say, okay, parent, then this week do this and this Mm -hmm. week do this. And then when they come back, say, okay, well, how did you do on that? And that keeps them accountable. Mm -hmm. And like I've said before, it also keeps you accountable. Because you get the parent in a habit, so you've got the buy-in from the get-go. you got a plan. You know where you're going. Part of my job as a therapist is to keep the parent accountable and the parent to keep me accountable. Mm -hmm. To say, okay, well, where's my homework this week? Yes. You know, but if you've got a real specific goal, it's easy to do that. Kirstie, another one of our team leads, and I was we're talking about this like also a couple weeks ago, and she was saying that one of the things that her parents do now is whether she's ready for it or not. They come in, and she said one of her parents caught her off guard because they were like, okay, where's my homework? She was like, oh, got it. I mean, <laughs> she had to whip that out real quick. She already had a plan in her head, but she didn't have it written up in advance. And she was like, oh, yes, here. And she was, she was like, she mm-hmm. has them planned. Said, yes. But that's not a surprise, Kirstie's, you know, how. That's not a surprise for us. Mm -hmm. We know how she is. So, Paula, we've talked about goal writing and our SMART goal-setting model that we're using, specific, measurable, achievable, results-oriented, and time. That's sort of our model for how we write our goals. Let's talk about the other side, which is in addition to why we do that, parents buy in and writing a home program and giving homework, and then also the child making progress, moving forward, but also the insurance companies and the referral sources. Yes. can you speak a little bit about insurance companies and pain and them wanting to see progress and that mm-hmm. whole piece of it? And that is, that's the timed piece of the SMART goal-setting measurement. And what happens is if therapists aren't writing something that at least, I would say 
75% of their plan of care is achievable. Mm-hmm. And between the insurance companies and the doctors, they look at this and they're thinking, well, what happened in six months? Six months is a long time (laughs) in the life of a child. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of development. And teaching therapists to write goals that maybe you haven't broken down. Like maybe it is a broader goal, but if you put it in two parts, then you can show in six months. You know, it is a lot for the child to learn, but you can say that They've met the first part of this goal, the A part of this goal, but the B part and and the good part is that you do have barriers to progress. But again, you have to know if there are barriers, well, what are you going to do about it? Because right. we're not going to go another six months unless these barriers are resolved. And as far as the pediatricians are concerned, they're really backing us on this. When they write a doctor's order, mm-hmm. they're putting their confidence in our ability to show progress mm-hmm. for this child. And you come back to those people in six months and you don't have a great plan of care that shows achievement and is measurable and is timed, they're not going to buy in. The insurance no. companies aren't going to buy in and the pediatrician won't buy in either. No, and the pediatrician has basically sent the patient over for us to help and take mm-hmm. care of. So mm-hmm. we have accountability to the parent. The parent should hold us accountable. We should hold the parent accountable on our goal plan. But the pediatrician should be expecting from us he sees progress. Because why would he continue to refer his patient or send them over if we're not going anywhere? Like I said, if you're not moving forward, you're not making progress. So the pediatrician, and we should every six months when we get a new doctor's order, we should be able to say, hey, this is how much further along we were than last Mm -hmm. month, than last Mm -hmm. time, six months ago. And the insurance company the same way. Then it's justifiable treatment and medically necessary. Mm -hmm. And really then your job actually ends up easier. If you write a good goal plan at the beginning, then your job is easier because you've already justified it. Mm -hmm. You've already made it measurable and you can show progress and you've got achievable goals. And like you said about the breaking down the goals, I know that's one area we've worked on and I see our therapists doing a great job with that where instead of writing a goal where a child will sit independently for two minutes, you know, they'll A, sit independently for 30 seconds, B, sit independently for a minute, C, sit independently for, you know, you can meet that sit independently for 30 seconds in six months. Yes. And usually our kids with that have a lot of, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big deal in yes. some of our little people's lives to sit independently for 30 seconds mm-hmm. for everybody involved, the little person and their parents. Mm-hmm. That's a big to do. So that's an achievable goal versus sit independently for two minutes. That may not be achievable in six months. Right. Given issues. And the other piece that we talk about too is, okay, where are you going with this? Mm-hmm. I think that's a question that we have to ask mm-hmm. all the time. Where are we going with this? Because you break it down, you work on it, and then you build it back up and integrate it. And that's another skill that I think takes experience, but it also takes just a general knowledge of where are we going and what is the purpose of this? And to keep asking yourself those questions, because it's not just treatment, it's assess and treat, assess and treat. And you're constantly assessing, even though you're saying it's a treatment session, you're looking ahead, like you said. Yeah, and when I think, where are we going with this? We communicate exactly to the insurance company, here's where we're going, all right? And then to the doctor, here's where we're going, you know? Because like you said, the therapist in their mind's thinking, where am I going with this? Where am I going with this? Mm-hmm. All, every session almost, like, okay, we could do this now, so where am I going? And then you're communicating it back. Well, thank you for being here today, Paula. This was great. Anytime was. with Paula is a good time. I enjoy that, <laughs> always. It's a good day when you're involved. And I appreciate everybody else. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 